invite you to keep your hymnals out as we look at Lord's Day 52 tonight, page 896. We're only going to be looking at question and answer 127. We'll look the remainder of Lord's Day 52, Lord willing, next Sunday. Page 896 in the back of your hymnals, and then we'll be Turning to various passages tonight, I'll have to apologize to those at home who like the the slides to go nicely in order. I'm not going to be reading through those passages all in order tonight. Might drive the person doing that a little crazy, but we're going to do our best. Just keep your Bibles out. We'll be looking at Luke chapter 11 to begin this evening, and then we'll be looking at various passages in the book of Judges. If you're unable to, uh, to have that scripture in front of you and you do rely on the, the slides uh, on the live stream, well, you'll have to just listen carefully as we flip around through the Bible tonight. We'll be looking again at the sixth petition. That's the subject matter of Lord's Day 52. And I want us to read that responsively, page 896. I'll ask the question if we can respond together with the answer. What does the sixth petition mean? We answered together. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil means. We are so weak that we cannot stand on our own for a moment. And our sworn enemies, the devil, the world, and our own flesh, never stop attacking us. And so, Lord... Uphold us and make us strong by the power of your Holy Spirit, so that we may not be defeated in this spiritual fight, but may firmly resist our enemies until we finally win the complete victory. We remember the Sixth petition, as Jesus teaches his disciples, he says, When you pray, say, Father, lead us not into temptation and deliver us from evil. We'll look at the matter of delivering us from evil and that last part of the Lord's Prayer next week as it comes from a different text tradition. It's not in our passage here in Luke 11.4, but it is in a different manuscript. But I want us to start out by looking at Judges 16. As I said, we'll be jumping around tonight, uh, looking at how Samson and Israel have something to teach us about temptation and weakness, something of a case study. It's not really, we're not looking really at the life of Samson and all of the details so much as we're just using the, uh, Samson and Israel as a means by which to learn what the Lord has to say to us about our weakness and about our need for him. It helps us focus on that sixth petition, Lord, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We're, we're so weak apart from God. Even the strongest physically cannot stand on their own for a moment. I can't tell you how many times that phrase doesn't come to mind in moments of temptation from the catechism. We are not able to stand even for a moment in the spiritual battle that we're engaged in. Children, if you know 
Samson from Sunday school, you probably think, oh, I know Samson. He's that strong guy. He's that guy who has all the strength to break ropes and to run around with a loom hanging from his long hair. And as we're going to see tonight in Judges 16, just one verse to reflect upon his great strength. Verse 3, Samson has gone down to the enemy and he's, he's staying with a prostitute there. And it appears he's going to stay all night and the Gazites were told that he was there. And so they surrounded the place where he was in order to ambush him in the morning and to kill him. And then we read in Judges 16, verse 3, But Samson lay till midnight, and at midnight he arose and took hold of the doors of the gate of the city and the two posts, and pulled them up, bar and all, and put them on his shoulders and carried them to the top of the hill that is in front of Hebron. Well, this was a strong dude. There's no way, other way to put it. I don't know if you have footnotes there in your Bible, but that... Distance is 40 miles uphill. This is an amazing feat of strength. He takes the gates and the posts and the bar and all and puts them on his shoulders and walks them 40 miles uphill. Samson's physical strength, as we read throughout the account of him in Judges, is given by the Lord. The Spirit of the Lord fills him when he shows these great feats of strength. Strength is not his own, and we also know from Samson that his strength, physical strength, did not mean that he had no need of God's help. We know that he had little strength when it came to the area of sexual temptation. He was like a city, a great city with no walls for defense. In the Proverbs, we read Proverbs 25, verse 28, like a city whose walls are broken down as a man who lacks self-control. And we know also, don't we, dear people of God, what little strength we have against sin, against our enemies. Well, let's think for a bit this evening about Samson and Israel at this time and what it says about how weak and defenseless we are in this fight. From the beginning, Samson showed his depravity, his spiritual weakness. He gave his parents fits. Chapter 14 says the first account that we really have of him is where he's asking his parents to get an unbelieving woman from Timnah to be his wife. He hasn't been paying attention in Sunday school. Hasn't learned his lessons well as a young child. The word of the Lord states clearly that the people of God were not to marry unbelievers. You see that throughout the Old Testament. But he didn't care. And the covenant community didn't seem to care much at this time for God's word either. Situation in Israel is described this way in the book of Judges. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. They weren't submitting to God. They weren't living for the Lord. They were living on past victories, perhaps, living in prosperity, relative prosperity, thinking we don't need God. The covenant community had rejected God after Joshua's death. We see in chapter 2, verses 10 and 11, 
At one time, the surrounding nations were terrified when they thought of Israel. They were afraid, but now, now Israel's without strength. The nations don't fear them because they are weak without God. And what the Heidelberg Catechism says is true, capturing the Scripture's teaching that we are so weak without God that we cannot stand even for a moment in this spiritual battle. That's the repeated teaching of Scripture. Samson, when empowered by God, could lift gates off their hinges, carry them far off. He did not realize that the strength that he had was to be used for God's glory. He rather found it to be something he could use to his advantage, advantage, it almost seemed, and yet God used him in his brokenness and his disobedience or his impetuous nature to strike out against the enemies of God's people. Samson went, however, from something to be feared, someone to be feared, to being mocked. Chapter 16, verse 25 says they bring him out to, uh, to be entertained by him. His eyes have been plucked out, his hair had been shaved, you know the story, and they make fun of him, they mock him. He has turned from the Lord and he has no strength and they make light of him. We don't need to go through the life of Samson point by point and through all of Israel's sins point by point to know God's lesson in this. The point God is making is if you turn your back upon me, you'll be as weak as any nation. Or as Samson said it, I'll be as weak as any man if I have my hair shaved and if I'm turning my back on the Lord. This petition, then, is important for us. Let us think of how it ties in. Without God, we are as weak as anyone and vulnerable to all temptation. Lord, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We don't need to look at every display of strength in Samson's life to understand that God gave Samson his strength and he gives everything life. There isn't anything that is that would be apart from God, we read in John chapter 1. Everything that is comes as a result of God the Son. Without him, nothing that is would be. In him, all people live and move and have life. We read in Acts 17, and we see a similar statement in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Or excuse me, 1 Corinthians chapter 8. And the one who thinks that his strength is his own doesn't understand his origin. Psalm 103 says this, verses 14 to 16, As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field, for the wind passes over it, and it is gone, and its place knows it no more. When an individual or a nation rejects God, neither understands how weak and vulnerable they are without him. They vanish like the mist or the rising sun. So when Jesus teaches us to pray to our Heavenly Father to deliver us, it is because he knows that our sworn enemy, the devil, will never quit. Satan never gives up. He's like a roaring lion seeking to devour. He prowls about. He attacks when we are not alert. He capitalizes on our laziness, our apathy. He watches and he schemes in order to lead us astray, all the while being, hopefully, he hopes... He hopes to be undetected. 
He knows when we are not vigilant. He knows how weak we are on our own. Vigilance is necessary in our homes, in our schools, in our churches. Humble prayer to God and this petition in particular. Lord, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Needs to be a part of our regular daily prayer. Jesus taught his disciples, not only will the devil attack, but the world would never stop attacking. The world's unmoved by God's word, suppressing the truth and unrighteousness. The world will leave the church alone if the church is proclaiming that Jesus just loves everybody and that he's in the end going to save everybody. That's not a concern. But if we come and speak humbly, as we heard this morning, the truth that all must stand before him one day and be judged for whether they accepted him by faith or rejected him, there's there's going to be a great judgment. And when we say that, the world becomes... Deeply troubled and persecution comes fast and furious. Satan's not concerned about churches that just say, well, it's just do your best and God will take care of the rest. Just be good. Satan's not concerned about Christian schools that say, well, just be good. Raising a bunch of very moral children without ever calling these young people to repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. He's perfectly content with schools that just teach you to be good, be nice, but never call you to the point of repenting and believing. He schemes and he works through the fallen world. He leads people astray and Others then around us will see if our schools have other idols, if all we're concerned about is enrollment numbers or sports programs or some such thing. We can be quickly led astray, tempted by those things which in themselves aren't wrong. We want to have many being taught the truth. We want to enjoy all aspects of our created being, including our athletic ability and all the rest. But if we are not we making those things idols, then we are not being faithful to God's call to teach and to train in the way that they should go. And quickly we can be led astray. And that's how Satan wants to work. And that's how he works through the world. Subtly, wanting to be undetected. Making good things become ultimate things. Father, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from such deception, from evil. The world will test Christians and their trust in God. The world may take away a Christian's business. The world may deplatform Christians from media, may intimidate Christians in their homes. And these, these tests will reveal where our life is found. They can be near crushing experiences. Who wants to lose their business? who wants to be cut off from society, seen as a pariah, who wants to be or feel unsafe in their home. These things should be protected. We should be protected. The government should protect these good things. But even there, the government is not a savior. 
And if we think, well, we just have to elect the right people and find the right ones who will, who will save what we care for most, our business and our home and our, our, the, the structure itself and, and being a part of the social scene, we've idolized the government and very soon we can turn to it for salvation rather than examining our hearts and seeing what is first. We've already mentioned the other enemy that the catechism brings up, the devil, the world, and our own flesh. How weak we are, how susceptible we are to these things, wanting to make these good things ultimate, wanting to, to give everything for, for these items I've mentioned and many more. Samson's a case study, a case in point of the weakness that we display. We have no strength. We are nothing without God. We may have great resolve, but we sin every day in thought, word, and deed. Therefore, we must pray every day, Father, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We must pray that he would help us to see our weakness and to look to him for strength. Hermann Veltkamp, in his commentary on the Sixth Petition, the Catechism's treatment on the Sixth Petition, says this. I think it's helpful. Sin is a debt that must be forgiven, but also a power against which we must fight. This petition complements the fifth. You remember the last one, forgive us our debts? And he says this. First, we have prayed for deliverance from the guilt of sin. Now, we pray under Jesus' instruction to his disciples, we pray for deliverance from the power of sin, from its attractiveness. And before we move on, we need to look at those words, Father, lead us not into temptation. What does that mean? Can God tempt us? A clear biblical answer to that question is no. James 1 says this, God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself tempts no one. Therefore, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. Now listen carefully. James says that we can be tempted. He says, let no one say when he is tempted, these things. James 1 verse 2, James writes, consider it all joy when you face trials of many kinds. That's the same word in Greek, the temptation and the trial, that word. When God, or while God will not lead anyone into sin, we know that there will be trials in our lives, and we have to remember this, that those trials are not apart from his sovereign control, as though he were saying, well, I didn't see that coming, I didn't know about that, that wasn't part of my plan or, or of my will, I, I, I can't say where they came from, they're, they're somehow sovereign apart from me, no. Now, these are all under God's control, but in such a way that God is not tempting us to evil. Jesus says to his disciples, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. Matthew 26, verse 41, temptation is a reality. Testings are a part of God's plan to refine us, to remove the dross and to refine the gold to sharpen our resolve, to cry out to him. God sees to it that testing works in us what needs to be worked out in us. These are attitudes that must be worked out. 
or excuse me, there are attitudes that must be worked out of us and attitudes that must be worked in us. That's a way of thinking about it. Part of God's plan for purification. We must not forget that we are in a battle, that we need him. Well, in Judges then, we read at the opening of the book, Judges chapter 2, we'll be spending a moment in Judges chapter 2, that the people did evil in the sight of the Lord, Judges 2 verses 11 and 12. Anger of the Lord was kindled against them, verses 14 and 15. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he gave them over to plunderers who plundered them, and he sold them into the hand of their surrounding enemies so that they could no longer withstand their enemies. Whenever they marched out, the hand of the Lord was against them for harm, as the Lord had warned, and as the Lord had sworn to them, and they were in terrible distress. Without the Lord, we are weak. The Lord graciously raised up judges we see in those next verses. He used them to deliver, but these judges were not where the people's hope was to be. Just look at Samson. What they needed was a perfect judge, a deliverer who was fully obedient to God. When These judges would die. The people would turn back to their corrupt ways. Verse 19 says in Judges Judges 2.19, they would turn back. And the Lord's anger would be kindled against them once more, for they were choosing death. Verses 20 to 22 of Judges 2. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. And he said, because this people have transgressed my covenant that I commanded their fathers and have not obeyed my voice, I will no longer drive out before them any of the nations that Joshua left when he died in order to test Israel by them, whether they will take care to walk in the way of the Lord as their fathers did or not. The opening of chapter 3 says this, Now these are the nations that the Lord left to test Israel by them. Did you catch that? The Lord. The Lord left the nations to test Israel. It wasn't that he could not defeat them, but they were left to test the people of God, to see if they would indeed cry out to him, submit to him, live for him, come what may, no matter what was taken from them, that they would not at all costs see that relationship with the Lord broken by faithlessness, by a lack of faith in him and trust in him. It goes on to say that many of them had not experienced the wars of the past, so the Lord left these nations to test the people to learn to fight and what to, pr- to fight with, or better yet, who to fight with, verse 2. To fight with the Lord, that is, to have him as an ally. Verse 4, they were, these nations were for the testing of Israel to know whether Israel would obey the commandments of the Lord, which he commanded their fathers by the hand of Moses. Remember, dear people of God, our loving Heavenly Father ordains whatsoever comes to pass and works it for the good of those who love Him. Even our weakness, especially our weakness, that we may understand our need of Him. We cannot live rightly on our own. When we pray, lead us, Father, lead us not into temptation, we are reminding ourselves that we cannot stand under temptation. We know 
how weak we are. And so we ask our sovereign God to protect us from this, to go before us and set a good path before us. We pray for his help every day. This petition is an awareness. It's a prayer of awareness of how little we truly understand our need of him. We're asking him to protect us from ourselves, to keep us from foolishness. The battle we're engaged in, the catechism summarizes the scriptures teaching, the battle we're engaged in is a spiritual battle and only the Lord can uphold us and make us strong by his spirit. Ephesians 6 tells us that. Ephesians 6, verses 10 to 13, listen to this from God's word. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. You see, dear friends, our greatest concern is not the size, the physical size of the enemy, the numeric, the numbers of our physical enemy, but the power of our great adversary, the devil who deceives and schemes against us, he who deceives and has control over so many, and in light of this also, the weakness of our own flesh. God can put our enemies to flight, no matter their number or determination. Mark this next passage to look at this week, Joshua chapter 23. Back in the Old Testament, Joshua chapter 23, these words of Joshua to the Israelites remind us that God is for his people and no enemy can stand against them. Yet if we turn from him and his commands, we become weak. Listen to Joshua 20, excuse me, 23, I believe, did I say 23? Joshua 23, verses 9 to 13. For the Lord has driven out before you great and strong nations, and as for you, no man has been able to stand before you to this day. Verse 10, Joshua 23, one man of you puts to flight a thousand, since it is the Lord your God who fights for you, just as he promised you. Be very careful, therefore, to love the Lord your God, for if you turn back and cling to the remnant of these nations remaining among you, And make marriages with them, so that you associate with them and they with you. Know for certain that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations before you, but they shall be a snare and a trap for you, a whip on your sides and thorns in your eyes, until you perish from off this good ground that the Lord your God has given you. He warns not to become enamored, to be ensnared, intertwined, married with those who reject him. There's a call to walk with God in the strength of the Lord, with the armor of the Lord, walking in obedience to his word by the power of the Holy Spirit. If we walk dependently with the Lord, we are sure to win the battle. If we walk independently of the Lord, we are sure to fall. 
minister gave you a children's song that he didn't like this morning, so I thought perhaps I better give you one that I do like. This evening, be careful, little child, what you say. Be careful, little child, what you hear. Right? Listen. Watch your ears, what you say, what you look at. Be careful, little eye, what you see. For the Father up above is looking down in love. So be careful, little eye, little ear, what you see and hear. Be careful what you put before yourself, what you listen to. For these can have strong influence and be means by which you are deceived and led astray. How can we obtain victory in this spiritual battle? Only by the Holy Spirit. Let us watch and pray then, being disciplined and prayerful in our daily living. And the Catechism talks about that complete victory over our enemy, that it's secured in Christ. Lord, uphold us, make us strong by the power of your Holy Spirit so that we may not be defeated in this spiritual fight but may firmly resist our enemies till we finally win the complete victory. The complete victory over our enemy is secured in Christ. Till the day of our homecoming, we must fight the devil, fight against those in the world who would seek to deceive and lead us astray and to fight against the weakness of our own flesh. But this word It's a reminder to us of God's goodness. 1 Corinthians 10.13 No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation he will also provide the way of escape so that you may be able to endure it. But remember those words of Psalm 141 tonight. What did the psalmist say? I look up to you. My eyes are towards you in temptation, in the presence of temptation, O God, my Lord. In you I seek refuge. Leave me not defenseless. And then these wonderful words of our God. God who has called you into fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, is faithful. He is strong to save We are to trust in him and be confident that he will protect us from all temptation and deliver us from evil. Look to him for your strength and find him to be faithful. Amen. Our Heavenly Father, you who care for us as your own son, we are so humbled and privileged to be able to call you Father, to know that we can come to you with our fears and anxieties and to come to you in sin and to ask for your forgiveness for the sake of your dear Son, that you will deliver. We ask, O Lord, that you would protect us from temptation, help us to grow in holiness, to say no to ungodliness, to lead a godly life and discipline in what we look at and what we listen to, That our hearts might meditate not on the things of the media all around us, but rather upon your word, that we might be tree like a tree planted by streams of water, bearing green leaves and fruit in season and out of season. 
receiving our life from you. Father, we are so weak. We cannot stand for a moment. Therefore, we ask you to grant us your strength and lead us in the way everlasting. Search us, O God. If there be any offensive way in us, cleanse us of it, that we might sing your praises and marvel at your great strength. Hear us, we pray, for Jesus' sake. Amen.